love uh, being able to give talks in the beginning of January for two reasons. First, and this is the truth, because it really gives me it gives me an excuse for when people come into my home, which is still fully decorated for Christmas, and I say, well, I'm so busy, I'm unprepared to talk. Um, of course, it's never down before January, mid-January, but at least I now, I have an excuse for it this time. That was good, but then the second reason is because I found, um, both personally and also as a counselor, that January inevitably brings us the new year, new you birth. You can look at magazines, sermon titles, media posts, and you'll be reminded that every new year beckons us to a time of reflection and perhaps renewal of uh, recommitment into whatever you want to call them, goals, intentions, resolutions, see your faces, see your faces, you're getting simple. <laughs> All right. Um, now for some of us, that's an exciting time. For others, uh, it brings a burden. But the truth is that come middle to end of January, first part of February, we're pretty much all in the same boat. Um, now usually for me, uh, I've been a goal setter all my life. Um, I, I mean, even in high school. And, and it was all, it's like the categories have changed, but the goals, they have not changed much. Like I always used to put lose five pounds, and now all I do is I added zero next to the five, but it's pretty much still always the same goals, get organized, every single time, but that's what I always do uh, until that second week of January, and here we are, uh, and my performance. It starts, let's say, veering away from the New Year, New Me program, and that voice in my head, I, I call her my inner coach. She switches on me. See, the beginning of January, when I was first starting to write everything down, she was saying stuff like, you could do this. Yes, you go, girl. Every year, she says the same thing, and I always fall for it. And then it's like second, third week of January. Well, it, it happened this week. Um, all of a sudden, uh, that voice changed. Okay, well, I was driving down Cahaba River Road on the way to the office for an 8.30 appointment. I look at my clock, watch, whatever, and it is um, 8.27. Um, I'm approximately 10 minutes from the office. And here she comes. Oh my word. Here we go again. We haven't even made it a week into the new year. And already you're back to that same old unprofessional. What kind of a counselor rolls in on two wheels and asks her client who is waiting in the parking lot for her to help her turn on the light? The truth is, is that all of my 830 clients, they know the drill. They know exactly what it is that they're supposed to do. And I know, I know that is not professional. And every year I say, I'm not going to do that again. And so she was in and she was on me. And she was not the encourager. She was the basher. She was saying things like, what is the matter with you? It, it hasn't even been two weeks. You have the resources. You have the time. You have the knowledge. There is no excuse for this type of behavior. Right there. All right? Now, does that voice... Does that voice sound familiar to you? Uh, I'll tell you who else it sounds familiar to. That voice sounds familiar to my husband and my children. Because the truth is, I speak to them in the same way that I speak to myself whenever they fail to live up to their potential. 
and start veering off. Now, sometimes I don't necessarily say it out loud, nor particularly in that manner, but I am absolutely saying it exactly the same way inside my mind, and somehow they still hear it, loud and clear. Why? Well, because you know, you really will love others in the same way that you love yourself. You will also bash others in the same way that you bash yourself. Scripture is clear on that. But um, that's what I call the condemnation cycle. Bash others the same way that you bash yourself. And the condemnation cycle, listen, it is not just toxic in terms of the fact that it, it derails all of your goals. It derails, takes you out of commission pretty much completely anyway. Yeah, that's bad enough, but I'll tell you, there's something worse. And that is it also derails you from your central calling in life. Your calling in life, the reason that the Father placed you here on the earth was not to be a wife, a mother, a teacher, a counselor, whatever it is, role that you have. That's all that is, is a role. It is not a calling. A role is a way that you live out your calling. Your calling never changes throughout any circumstance or any season of life. And that calling, we were created given the same mission that Jesus was. Why did Jesus come to earth? He came to earth so that by watching him, most specifically by watching the way that Jesus loved others, we could then get a glimpse, a picture of the love of God for us. That is exactly your central calling in life. But more simply, wherever you are, your office, your home, Walmart, dealing with gas pro that isn't putting in your plumbing when they said that they would. Wherever you are, your purpose is that those around you would have a living, breathing picture of the love of God, seen by the way you were late. <clears throat> I, I know. I know what you're thinking. Oh, great. This is what happens when you hire a counselor. They say things to make you feel more depressed about yourself. So that they <laughs> and then they think, who thought this woman was a good idea? And what am I going to do for the next 30 minutes so that I don't have to listen to her? So here's an idea. There's, there's, some, there's notes right in front of you. You could like grab a pen and you could scribble on that. Nobody would know the difference between you just drawing mean faces to me and notes. So you, you don't necessarily have to listen, but I do want to ask you, stay with me. Because I promise there is a way out of this condemnation cycle. But before we're willing to change, you see, we've got to become aware of what's not working and the cost that we are paying for it. Now, I want you to know, though, that your mind, even when it is bashing you, is in fact doing exactly as it was designed to do. God created your mind in the garden with one purpose, and that has never changed since creation. And that was to keep you safe. So that when something happened that was dangerous, we could remember, that's dangerous, don't go there again. But post-fall, 
the things that God created and designed to work in a certain way are now working in a distorted way. So therefore, though your mind is still working it's in its proper design, we now have to have our minds transformed and renewed. It was, again, designed to protect you so that you would know where danger was and avoid it in the future. So, whenever you have been hurt, whenever you've experienced pain or danger, um, your brain, it loves that memory. After that, your brain forever scans your environment at all times, seeing if there is anything that resembles the danger that began that former crisis. Constantly scan for anything that looks like we might be headed to that bad memory again. And once a sign is detected, it goes into overdrive to protect you from that negative experience happening again. Automatically, the brain shuts down all executive functioning, which is reasoning and logic, and you're now operating out of your lower brain, which is just reflex, and it has one purpose, and that is to keep you safe, and it does it in one of three ways, which you probably know about, fight, flight, or freeze. For example, when my brain detected that I was, gonna, I was about to fail, I was about to be late, and that coach, she suddenly changed to condemnation. Which path was my brain taking me down at that point? Fight. Fight. She, she thought if, if I bash her, she'll get it, she'll change, and we can avoid failure. I didn't say it was a good plan. I just said that it is the plan. Okay? You understand how that's working, though? All right? Um, now, some of you, you might go a different route. Some of you might detect that uh, signs of failure are coming in, and suddenly you forget everything you said that you were going to do, and you stay away from your friends that might ask you, hey, how's that new Bible reading plan going? Um, <laughs> because you don't want to be reminded that you are veering away from what you desire. <coughs> or, I had it said three times today in my office, no kidding. Somebody said to me, she said, why would I ever write a goal down? All I'm doing is setting myself up for failure. And she, this is in my notes, but I promise you, she actually said this. She said, if I don't allow myself to see what's happening, if I don't allow myself to write it down, then I won't be harmed by it. <laughs> that makes sense. What is the brain using there? That's flight. I just won't be present. If I'm not present, I don't get hurt. Make sense? All right, again, I didn't say it was right. I said it makes sense. So it, it, this is the thing. It, it might not be functional, but you're not crazy. That's the thing I say to my clients, which is, is a happy thing for me. Um, okay, and that coach, she is, she's not your enemy. Um, she's actually seeking to protect you from failure, but she's doing it in such a way that revs you up or shuts you down. She's not doing it the right way. For example, the math tutor that is tutoring a little boy. The little boy does it wrong. Again, and the math tutor, she says, are you serious? How many times have I been through this with you? What is the problem here? Do it again. 
what are the chances that the little boy is going to be able to do it again? Slim to zip. Why? Because her voice, her tone, just sent that child into shutdown, freeze mode, flight. His thinking that is necessary to do a math problem, quite literally, is gone. Here's the fascinating thing. When you speak to yourself like that, your brain does exactly the same thing. You are sending your own brain into fight, flight, or freeze. And you speak to yourself like that. It's, it's, it's fascinating. So, you've got to retrain your brain to go a different way. When confronting failure or potential failure, a new way is described throughout the scripture, but I'm going to look at just one verse. Hebrews 10, 17 through 23. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And he's saying here, because of Jesus, we don't have to keep trying harder. Because of Jesus, we don't have to bash anymore. You don't have to do it that way anymore. There's a new way now. Our standing with God is what has to inform our standing with ourselves. Let me say that again. Our standing with God is what has to inform our standing with ourselves. We are no longer condemned. And we are not defined any longer by our actions. How are we defined? By his actions. Then Paul goes on. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he, he who promised is there. That's a lot of words. So I'm going to give you then the, the Julie kind of paraphrase. If you believe the change, the transformation, is about you, then you are feeling a lot of anxiety, and rightly so. You don't have a low self-image. You're actually right. Your brain is right. When your brain says, I've done this a thousand times, I have tried harder, and it doesn't work. That's right. That's exactly right. That's, see, that's not a low self-image. That's fact. But the gospel is, if it's about you, you're in big trouble. But, thank God, it is not. When I say that to you, if change is about you, our bodies do this. The shoulders go up, the breathing gets a little bit faster, 
we begin to feel <coughs> tension in our bodies, rightly so. But then when we say, but thank God, it's not what happens to your body. Shoulders drop. We breathe. Remember that. Right there, that is the way that the new way feels in your body. If we really understand the gospel, it makes us feel relieved. Oh, thank God. Feel it. Remember that feeling. Live out of that feeling. If you don't experience that feeling, you go back over that again. So that you experience the relief that the gospel is meant to bring to you. Now, again, we're looking at ourselves. Forgiveness and ability to change. We're in trouble. But what's the new way? What exactly is the new way? When we are confronted with failure, we have to hold on to our brains. Because our brains, they'll naturally go down a path self-performance. That's what it does. We have to teach our brains to go a different way based upon the truth that we know. How many times do I hear this? I know this. I, I know this stuff. Uh, probably every day in the office. No kidding. I know this stuff because I deal with mostly uh, churched women and churched men who can present the gospel to me very, very well and have absolutely no idea what it has to do with life. So how do we learn that? How do we learn that new path? Well, there's a new, uh, well it's not new, too new, it's probably about 50 years old, new term, it's fancy, it's called neuroplasticity. And what that means is that your brain continues to new, make new neural pathways and you can learn new things from infancy all the way to the point of death. In other words, you can really teach an old dog new tricks, which for me, it is great, great news. All right, so I want to give you an example of that. All right, let's try the new way. Let's go back to Cahaba River Road. I'm late. All right? Now, I want to give you an example of me talking back to me. I heard the voice, and oh, by the way, I also... The other things I'll talk about it later. But anyway, I heard that voice, and then I, I kind of went, whoa, whoa. That's, that's a bit overwhelming. I, it's okay. I didn't say it out loud. I mean, yeah, it's just thinking about that. But I said to myself, um, no, no. I messed this up. I am not a mess up. And I have within me the power to change. Because Jesus lives in me. I'm going to claim that. I did not say, oh, okay, I'm going to try harder tomorrow. I can do this. I can do this. I'm going to set my alarm back. That's self-way. It's just a different way. But basically I said, Jesus, I did it again. Rescue me. I experienced a lift. 
That's what I mean by the new way. That's what I mean about talking back to yourself based upon the truth that you know. Now, um, your brain is made up of these neural pathways. And you are already going down it automatically based upon use. Good news is we're now going to teach you how to make new neural pathways. It's done in three steps because I'm a Presbyterian and we do everything in three steps. <laughs> Breaking the condemnation cycle happens when we work by rerouting, number one, by becoming aware of situations that tend to trigger our brain. We notice when we're getting triggered, too. And I will go back. Uh, learn to speak gently to that inner coach. Three, repeat steps one, two. Again, and again, and again. Now, let's dive into each one. Step one, develop an awareness of when you are headed into this situation that can trigger your brain into the old cycle because the hardest thing about breaking the old cycle is that you don't know that you're about to go in it until you are so full in it that you can't pull out if you're already in a complete trauma response, all you can essentially do is learn to regulate until the brain drops back down, you can breathe again, and then we try it again. But what we're gonna to try to do is catch it before you're gone into that old cycle. So, uh, to teach you how to become aware of that which you're not yet aware of, God has given you a series of indicator lights. And once you learn them, they're gonna alert you that you're headed into the cycle before you're fully into it. So remember when I said earlier that your brain automatically logs memories that are negative for the purpose of protecting you from experiencing them again. Now a lot of the time you are not even conscious that that just occurred. You might not even be conscious of the memories that are in there. Um, but you don't have to be because your brain is doing it for you automatically. Constantly scanning your surroundings Again, looking for anything that reminds it that it could happen again. And as soon as it detects it, any signal of potential danger is going to jump into action to protect you. Unfortunately, that brain does not know how to detect the difference between past and present. Think of the Vietnam War vet that goes to the 4th of July parade. And um, his brain picks up, once the fireworks start, the sound and the smell of the battlefield. And before he knows what happens, he's dived underneath the picnic bench. No conscious thought, he just ended up there. Similarly, when you notice that you're having a reaction, you're having a reaction that seems to be a little stronger than the present situation might call for, an overreaction. You can be assured that more than likely, it's not just the present situation that you're responding to. It's also something in the past that gives the present situation a bigger weight. By the way, that's a really helpful thing to remember for other people too. When you say, well, my word, she just flew off the handle. Probably it wasn't just the moment that you're in, it was also a moment that happened before that you may not have been in. So you can allow yourself to be more curious, give more compassion. As you learn this about yourself, you're gonna do that. Um, 
So when your brain detects something that's triggered it into an old way, you don't have to go there down there anymore. But your brain, it hasn't learned it yet. But God has given you a system of indicator lights letting you know it's about to happen. And those indicator lights are number one, your physical feelings, number two, your emotions, and number three, those racing thoughts. Again, let's go back to Cahaba River. I looked at my watch. As soon as I looked at my watch, I began to tense up, and I felt anxiety, and I started gripping the steering wheel, because I don't know if you know this, but if you squeeze your steering wheel, traffic will move faster. <laughs> squeezing the steering wheel, and then here it came, those racing thoughts, okay? Those are all three indicator lights that just went on for me. So that told me, I'm headed, I'm headed there. And that's how I caught it. Does that make sense? Feeling, physical feeling, emotion, and a racing loud thought. You're circling the edge of the rim right there, and that's where you can stop it. Now, um, again, I told you how I detected it, and then I changed it because my indicator lights went off and I was aware that I can do it different. I don't have to do this anymore. Actually, I can step two, gently speak back to that inner coach. Now that's a weird word, I know that sounds like such, a counselor. Well see, here's the thing. You need to learn to talk to you in a way so that you will listen to you. It's the weirdest thing. People say things to themselves like, you know, oh, oh, no, 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 Phyllis, don't get, God's got all things in control. That doesn't help me when somebody tells me that when I'm upset. Why am I telling myself that? You've got to learn what works with your brain. You've got to learn how to talk to your brain in such a way that your brain will listen to you. I want you to think of a person right now that you experience is a calm and wise presence. She's not just like a handholder. She has strength, she has grit, but she loves you. You got her? Now, that's the voice that I want you to start using with you. And when I'm talking back to myself, the first thing I do is I validate what I'm feeling. Validation is not agreement, it's acknowledgement. This is what's happening. I'm scared. This is freaking out. Me freaking me out. I'm feeling like I'm about to fail again. It's the first thing I say. Validate. Second thing, I'm going to pull myself from the past into the present with a statement like, but it's just a day, it's one time, and I have the power to do it differently. Or let me do another one. I just, I don't know yelled at uh, the person on the phone. Like, can you tell I've been doing a lot of work on the house lately? That will send you right over the edge. <laughs> Bring out things other than Jesus so out, because you know they can't see you. And you just hope that they don't show up in a speaking event. So then I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, you know, and I blew it. And I was rude, and I said something that I never would have said to somebody face to face, because I could get away with it. Bashing against. And I tell myself, that isn't you. That isn't what you want. And you don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to fight anymore. 
be who you are. Not be who you can be. No, be who you are. And when I am barking at somebody on the phone, that is not me. Because I am a new creation. I know, I know. When somebody says that kind of stuff to me, it's like somebody's telling me, oh, you're a size five true blonde. And I don't really believe that, right? <laughs> but I am telling you, that is the key. We live out of our old identity. I know you know better, right? But you call yourself things like this. I am a control freak. No, you're not. You behave like a control freak when you forget who you really are. But you are not a control freak. You don't name yourself any longer by your behavior because, like, that's why Jesus died, right? Right? New identity. So I'm going to speak to myself back in my new identity. Pull away from the past. What is true right now? And what do I have the capacity to do right now? So, when you speak to yourself as an advocate, you know what happens? Your brain relaxes. You begin to think better, and you can make better choices. You can even risk curiosity. What's really going on here? Because a lot of the time, you're not very curious about yourself. You just call yourself evil, defective, stupid. You're not curious at all. Because you just did what you figured you would just, you always do this kind of junk. But wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're a redeemed woman, and you have the desire to do differently, and you have the capacity to do differently, then aren't you a little bit curious? What's going on? Why am I acting out of the old way again? And listen, it's exactly the same way that you should be treating each other instead of giving one another lectures on which that person already knows. It's like the parent when the child has done something once again that the parent knows that the child knows they're not supposed to do. The wise parent doesn't go back up to the child and say once again, I have told you 13,000 times that this is a bad thing to do and yet how helpful, right? How helpful. And you know what it's going to do too, right? Shut the child right back up. The wise parent instead is curious. Now, they know not to do this. They're doing this. Hey, Johnny, come here. What's going on? What's going on, honey? What's going on? See, that's the way Jesus treats you and I. job of that ourselves. He says, come here. What's going on? Often in the counseling room, a client might have engaged in some type of behavior that they feel a lot of shame over. And they want to tell me about it. And as they're telling about it, they'll, say, they'll, they'll name themselves. And they'll name their behavior. And this is so stupid. What am I in junior high? I can't believe I have done this again. Like, I don't know better, right? Like I teach Bible study on this. Oh, I'm sorry, that was me talking. Yes. <laughs> All right, so now I know she's headed into that condemnation cycle. And so I don't jump in and correct her with platitudes, like, yeah, 
come on, we know you didn't need to do that. Jesus loves you anyway. Just try again. <laughs> Neither do I say, uh, yeah, yeah, because we kind of been over that a couple of times, haven't we? You're still doing it. What do you think is going on? No, never one of those, right? I want to invite her in. I want to bring her in to a safe place between the two of us so that we can talk about it. And that is exactly what I'm trying to teach the client to do in their head. Your head needs to be a safe place where you can think through what's going on. Satan hates that. Hates that. Does not want you to be asking those questions. Just wants you to beat yourself. But what if the gospel's true and I want to Genuine question. Genuine question. Because it's the kindness, the kindness of Jesus that draws us through repentance, draws us into that same place. Have you ever thought about this? Okay, here's a counselor question. I'm going to step on your toes, but I'm let you know I'm going to do it. Could the way you beat yourself up possibly be a way to avoid God? You know, like the child that won't come near the outstretched arms of the parent. We can run from the deepest type of intimacy there is. And that is to have the courage to be embraced by one who caught you and loves you. What if our failure, those things that we set out to do, what if those could instead become a means experiencing more kindness of Jesus. What if, like the law, our resolutions, our desire for change, they're not wrong. In fact, they're very right. But the true purpose of the law and the true purpose of your resolutions is not so that you can nail it and be your best self. The purpose of the law is so that you would learn that you need Jesus and that you would be drawn to him. And because I have an open door because of the new way, oh, bring it on. Because I don't have any fear. I don't have any fear of condemnation. So you bet. I'm going to write resolutions. Yes, I am. Because I'm not afraid of blowing it. Because I know where to go with it. John 14, 16 through 18. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know, for he lives in you, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's the truth. But it's not life-changing unless we do the work of applying it to our minds. It's not natural. It's hard. But here's the good thing. It doesn't take as long to reroute as it did to route the first time, I promise. But most especially, the time when we want to do that is at the point when we are falling short of whatever standards 
we've set for ourselves or that God has given to us. Which brings me to my final step. Repeat. Steps one and two and three over and over and over again because you will never outgrow your need for Jesus. Why are you ashamed? Did you really think it was going to be any different? It wasn't for Paul in the beginning of his career. He referred to himself as what? The least of the apostles, which means I was the worst in kind of a good group. At the end of his career, what does he refer to himself? The chief of all sinners. He got worse. Bingo. Here's the weird thing. When I begin to understand the gospel, I want to move in. When I move in, and I experience the relief and that burden being taken off my back, you know what the first thing I want to do is? Learn more. Run harder. Press in towards more holiness. I want to bring people along with me. And, and you know what else? I might even write down a resolution or two. <laughs> so, that's the new year, new you. And I don't have a watch because after that unfortunate incident on Cahaba River Road, I found <laughs> one of the ways you can fly is just don't wear a watch. <laughs> Isn't that when we leave? Okay. Yeah. Here's the stupidest thing I ever did. I'm sorry, just being myself as a speaker. Um, I went to a speaking engagement in the in a brewery, and after everybody had enjoyed themselves um, for with beer, I, I opened up the floor for questions. <laughs> that was fun. But I didn't see any. I didn't see any. Um, fear. So, um, all right, we'll, we'll try that a little bit. This is, you're not supposed to do what I'm doing right now, but, okay. Huh? Uh-huh. I don't know how to do it. You know what my greatest nightmare is? It's, I'm always wearing these stretchy skirts. 